Welcome to the Imago Day Eastside Gathering Podcast. Hey, Imago Day, this is Alex Joy again. I'm the executive pastor, and it's my privilege uh, to share God's word with you today uh, for our online community. We're actually going to be looking at Genesis 39 and 40, but we're not going to read both chapters. I'm going to kind of focus on Genesis chapter 30, verses 19 to 23 for our reading, but the message will cover both chapters. Um, and so this is the reading of God's word. When his master, that's Joseph, master, heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him, put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. As I mentioned last week, we're continuing in our study through the book of Genesis, but last week we started a new subseries called Unstoppable Dreams, where we're looking at this dream that God gave uh, to Joseph that casts him to a future, a beautiful future, where it actually, uh, God's uh, favor and grace transforms an entire family and actually heals a nation. But the dream comes in a very difficult moment in the life of Joseph's family and at great cost to him. And not only is it bad because he is sold into slavery, he's, uh, his brothers plot to kill him, decide to sell him, uh, a terrible, bad situation. But what we see in chapters 39 and 40 is Joseph's life going from bad to worse. He uh, ends up getting sold into slavery, as I mentioned. He ends up in Potiphar's home as his slave, but quickly rises because of his success. God's favor was upon him, and so he was moving up the ranks within Potiphar's home to the point that almost everything was under Joseph's uh, care and authority uh, as a servant of Potiphar. During this time, sometime later, Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. He resists and, as a result, ends up in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Chapter 40 goes even further, makes it even worse, because there's a cupbearer and a baker that join him in prison. They have dreams, and Joseph interprets those dreams for him and says that when you get released from prison, remember to say a kind word to me, uh, to Pharaoh but he is forgotten and Joseph is left in prison for a longer period of time. I wanna pause for a moment and simply ask this question, and that is, what are your tendencies? Uh, what are the tendencies of your heart when life gets bad? And also, what are the tendencies of your heart when life gets worse? I ask this question because it's gonna help us uh, take a journey through this passage and really examine what God's grace and his presence can do in our lives. And so I wanna encourage you just to pause and reflect, uh, what are your tendencies when things get bad? And what are the tendencies of your heart when things get worse? My tendency, I can share with it just from a condition that I have. I have a condition called Meniere's disease, and essentially what it is is uh, periodically, 
My One of my ears will feel really full. There'll be a tremendous amount of pressure. The ringing gets very loud. Uh, I start to lose my hearing. And then I go uh, into uh, episodes of vertigo where all I can do is take medication and lie in bed. Uh, on, a, on a good episode, it lasts anywhere from two to three days. Uh, I've also seen it go all the way to three weeks. And this was something that was really, really challenging for me. And over time, uh, it actually would get worse. I, would, I lost a tremendous amount of hearing. Um, and then it even got worse after, uh, even after I had kids and got married, had kids and started a church in LA, uh, the condition actually even worsened. And to the point where the doctor was telling me, Alex, you're, I advise you and your family to start learning sign language now because uh, it's easier to learn when you have some measure of hearing left uh, versus if you lose it all, because the doctor said you're most likely gonna lose, uh, your, have total hearing loss. And I remember going through that and went through different stages of kind of being scared. Uh, the first one was just kind of figuring out what was going on. I had no idea. Doctors thought initially maybe it was allergies or uh, maybe it was uh, food poison, whatever the case. They had no idea what it was. There's no known cause. There's no known cure for Meniere's disease. And the next level where my I was scared of what was going on, I actually then began a journey of kind of being cautiously optimistic because I thought there was a possibility of healing or there's treatment that I could take and that could help this condition, but nothing that I did worked. I mean, guys, I went everywhere. Uh, I went to healing, people who had the gift of healing. Actually, I went to this one old Korean lady who supposedly had this amazing gift of healing people. And I'll never forget that experience. I She, she literally laid me on a table lifted up my shirt and slapped my stomach seven times as she asked God to heal me in Jesus' name. I went to acupuncture. I did Eastern medicine, Western medicine. I prayed like crazy. I had people praying for me. Um, I went on a low-sodium diet. I tried everything that I was told to try by Christians and doctors, and nothing worked. And then I started to get discouraged, especially as my hearing got worse. And kind of like dealing with the thought of having to sign language, it made me question, am I gonna even be able to do ministry? And then I started to have deep doubts and I just, I felt in my heart, there's no way God's gonna heal me. And ultimately I would say like the level five being scared or that level five fear that I had in my heart was that all of this, especially cause I was a pastor and I needed my hearing to do the work of ministry, at least as I was used to doing it, honestly, the, at its worst moment, my assumption was, this is a sign that I am not God's guy anymore. Uh, I, I'm, he's done with me. My ministry life is gonna be over. I'm gonna have to find something else. And, um, and what happened was I, I stopped praying. Uh, I, and it wasn't because I didn't believe in God. Ironically, I stopped praying and my anger towards God grew because I did believe in him. It is so easy for God. I believe he He created the world by just the power of his word, that Jesus um, would heal people just by his will and thinking it, not even having to say anything at times. And so I would say that my faith struggled because I believed in the power of God, not because I disbelieved it. And so this is, I think, 
maybe you don't identify with that. Maybe you don't necessarily go through what I went through when your life goes from bad to worse. But I would say this, we all go through from bad to worse. And when that happens, often our greatest fears begin to surface. The most commanded commandment in all the scriptures is not worship God, it's not forgive, it's not pray, it's not read the Bible or go to church. The most repeated commandment in all of scripture is fear not. It's not the most important commandment, but it's the one most repeated because God knows our hearts so well that the thing that you and I will struggle, we will come back to over and over and over again, regardless of how many years we've been walking with Jesus, is that you and I will fear. And so God has to tell his people to fear not. But what's the cure for Christian fear? I can tell you right now, you know, strangely, it's not courage, right? You would think that if you're scared, the cure is to have courage, but that's not the scripture's cure for the heart that is afraid, the heart that has fear, that is scared of our worst nightmares coming to fruition. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 tells us that perfect love is the thing that casts out fear. And so in order for us to overcome our fears, you and I have to learn the art of preaching the gospel to our hearts, that there is this fear uh, um, that exists and it grows, especially when our lives get worse and worse and worse. We're, we'll go through seasons of that, unfortunately. And when I say preach the gospel to ourselves, I'm not talking about a generic and the whole gospel, but rather there is an aspect of the gospel we have to reflect on, an attribute of God, an aspect of Jesus that we have to reflect on, a very sp specific, particular aspect of God that we um, that will help us overcome our fears. I, I don't know if you guys, uh, I'm a, I'm a, I love food. I think about it all the time. Uh, I, I, in fact, right before preaching this sermon, like I was in my office uh, texting my wife about this fried chicken place I heard about called Jojo's. And uh, I, I mean, I'm literally, instead of focusing on your souls and my soul, I'm just thinking about food all the time. And one of the things that I love is prosciutto. And I don't know if you have had prosciutto, but it's basically like a, a, a pig leg that is cured uh, with salt and it's extremely salty. Now, if you were to take a big bite out of prosciutto, it is, um, it is a disturbing experience. But if you slice prosciutto extremely thin, it's one of the most glorious experiences you ever have. A little bit of red wine, a little bit of cheese, uh, and thinly sliced prosciutto. And I think that's kind of how the gospel works sometimes. Sometimes the gospel as a whole, if you're going through something, pain or fear, anxiety or depression, uh, taking a bite out of the whole uh, um, concept of who God is or the whole gospel can be a really funky experience. But if you slice it thin and you take an aspect of God, an aspect of the gospel, uh, I guarantee you it has the power to heal, transform and nourish our souls. And today, what I want us to focus on looking at uh, kind of overviewing, uh, looking at an overview of uh, Genesis 39 and 40 
is the specific aspect of God that he is with us, <clears throat> excuse me, and we know this because we are able to see him working in us. And I want to kind of look at something in the life of Joseph right now that I hope will kind of show and reveal that aspect of God that you and I can reflect on for ourselves as we kind of go through our own struggles. Maybe you're in that in the eye of the storm where things have gone from bad to worse. But I want us to look at the transformation of Joseph. When we're looking at Joseph going to prison, it's kind of hard when we go from chapter to chapter, especially in the Old Testament, where it just seems like Joseph, 17 years old, gets sold into slavery, and then the next day he's tempted by Potiphar's wife. That's not what happens. Um, conservatively, anywhere from eight to 10 years have passed before he's tempted by, uh, by Potiphar's wife. It is, uh, he has to come, he has to learn the language. He's starting, starting off as a very bottom uh, level slave in the home of Potiphar. And so for him to rise to the level of being Potiphar's right hand man, uh, this is something that would take time. The trust that has to be earned, that level of trust doesn't come overnight. So what happens is about a 10 year gap between him entering Potiphar's home and then actually going to prison. And he's probably in prison at the at least uh, two years. And so um, the reason why I bring this up is that in this 10-year window, we actually see Joseph growing up quite a bit. We see a movement from last week's sermon where Joseph struggled with entitlement, and we see a great maturation, uh, an inward renewal of his heart, um, and that is he moves from entitlement into integrity. Uh, again, he's given, remember I told you last week that he was given authority by Jacob, authority he shouldn't have because he wasn't the oldest son in that culture. He's given authority and uh, by his father, and because of that becomes full of himself, treats his, you know, speaks to his brother in a way where there's no honor, there's no grace, there's no kindness or love. Um, but he's given that authority and favor again. And but this time, he actually sees it through the lens of grace, not through the lens of I deserve what I have. We know this because when Potiphar's wife tempts him uh, to have an affair, uh, basically the reason that he gives is, look, your everything your husband owns, he has given over to my care. Notice that language. It's not mine. I don't deserve it. It's something that your husband has given me. How could I do a wicked thing to him? And how could I do this wicked thing to God? So notice what Joseph does. He attributes his favor. He attributes his status. He attributes his job um, and the power that he has as coming from Potiphar, it belongs to Potiphar, and ultimately it belonged to God, and God bestowed that uh, to me, entrusted it to me as a steward of that responsibility. You see, Joseph could have easily, the 17-year-old version that did what he did to his brother in our passage that we looked at last week, uh, it could have been very easily, look, I had to learn a language. I was an immigrant. I was forced into this situation. It wasn't my choice. And um, Potiphar doesn't even love his wife. If he did, why would she be trying to seduce me? And and you know what? I earned this. And, and this is as much mine as it anybody else's. That's not what Joseph does. 
Joseph sees his experience of re regaining authority and favor um, as uh, an act of grace of God and an act of grace on the part of Potiphar. And so we see last week the favoritism of Jacob gives authority to Joseph that nearly costs him his life. But then we have the favor of God, not based on merit or birth order, but just simply because of his grace in Joseph's life, it actually helps Joseph flourish. It brings him life. It brings him success. And the significance of this is that we can, one of the ways we experience the presence of God, the love of God, the favor of God, is through the second chances that God gives us over and over and over again. One of the things that if you live life for any measure of time, what you will find is that God very often will put you in the very situation you are running from or that you are hoping to escape. He'll put you in that situation over and over and over again. Now, this is humbling if you're running away from something, right? Maybe there's a boss or a difficult person in your life and you're like me. I just had a therapy session yesterday. We were talking about how I am either a freeze guy or I'm a flight guy. So when things get hard, I just, I don't sink with the ship. I, I take off. And that's kind of been a, 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 something that was a pattern when I was younger. And uh, so if you're, if you struggle like me with the flight when things get hard, then you're going to constantly be running away. And what you'll find is that that same boss, that same person just shows up again because God has a way of wanting us to work through and dealing with our hearts uh, and our relationship with him, our relationship with others. But this is going to be also that same word that God is a God of second chance placing us in situations over and over and over again, it's encouraging if your failures are weighing you down. And so what I want to point out is that every story, Joseph's life, but in the life of Jonah, the life of Moses, the life of Joseph's brothers that we'll see later on, in almost every character in the scripture and every character in the kingdom of God, which includes you, includes me, we see that grace creates the space for true change to happen. And so this is a moment for us to actually pause and to not only look at what are the tendencies of my heart and my emotions when life gets bad and it moves from bad to worse, but I also want you to look at those um, kind of champagne glass moments where you have to toast uh, your God, you got to toast your therapist, you got to toast your, your physical trainer, whoever it is in your life that has helped brought really positive change in your life. We also got to look back on those and see that's the manifestation of God's presence, his love that casts out that fear. Because I told you, my heart struggled with, I felt like God abandoned me. I thought I thought I had lost favor with God. I never doubted that he was real. But what helped me overcome that wasn't courage, like pick yourself up by the bootstraps and stop being scared. But rather the only thing that transformed me was what was found in this passage. God was with Joseph. God is with me. God is with you. And it's not enough for me, guys, to just say, God's with me, I know. I have to slice that truth thin and find the spaces of grace where God shows up 
in clear, specific ways that enable me to, to know he's really with me. Despite the appearances of the situations in my life, he's with me. You see, for Moses, he, if you guys remember the story, um, an Egyptian is fighting with the Hebrew and Moses commits murder. And, he, um, and then uh, people found out about it and so Moses has to flee. Guess what happens right after Moses flees? He arrives in Midian and there's these women that are being bothered by shepherds and the same situation again, but this time Moses protects them without murdering the shepherds. Jonah is asked by God to preach the gospel and save the Ninevites, and he refuses because they're such wicked people. He wanted no part in saving those people's lives. What happens? He gets on a boat. There's a storm. They try to figure out who angered their God that this storm is here. Jonah raises his hand, and what does Jonah do? He, he, tells, him, he tells the people, I will throw myself off. Um, so that you, this storm will end. In other words, he risks his life to save the lives of the innocent, something he wasn't able to do one chapter before that story. And this is the story of our lives. This passage we read today reminds us that God is with Joseph. It's a reminder he's with us. But I want to say this, that the gospel is even more powerful than that. In the Old Testament, there is a strong theme that God is with us. God is Emmanuel. In the New Testament, there's an escalation. God goes further. He goes deeper. He goes wider with his love. And there's an escalation through Jesus that he is not only with us, but now because of the work of Jesus, God is in us. And so we have the assurance that all that we need for the salvation of our souls, but the daily being saved from our fears and our the, the, the toll that bad circumstances take on our faith and our relationships. Um, the, God is now in us, and the cost of Jesus doing that is that Jesus had to experience rejection and separation for the Father so that you and I would never have to experience that. Uh, I'm not sure if you're, you're aware, but Jesus calls God Father every single time in the New Testament Gospels, except once. When he's dying on the cross, he quotes Psalm 22, and he calls the Father God. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's, the reason why is because as the sins of the world were heaped onto Jesus, and he was going to be that sacrifice to put to death, death itself, and the consequences of sin, as Jesus offers himself in that, the Father in his holiness has to turn his back and leave and make Jesus experience the loneliness of a dark pit that comes because of sin. And Jesus, in that pain, can't even say, Father. He says, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? And because Jesus paid that price for us, we can know that no matter what the circumstances look like, the gospel is a reminder, man, he is not just with me in this, he is in me while I'm going through this. The implications are profound, that God is grieved, he mourns, he hurts with every step that we go through. When we go from bad to worse, he's, he's in us and 
And this is really important, friends, because fear and faith are cousins. They're both being certain of something that you can't see with your eyes. Faith is a belief in a God you can't see with your eyes, and fear is a future that you can't see with your eyes. If you think about and deconstruct our fears, they are sermons, they are predictions, they are prophecies about a dark a, a, a dark story, a dark gospel that somehow we're going to be alone. That's ultimately for me what happens whenever my life goes from bad to worse. My conclusion, the sermon that my fear preaches, the prophecy it makes is that, Alex, you're going to be alone. No one's going to be there with you. There's No one's going to stand with you, not even God himself. But we have to preach a sermon to that fear. We have to preach that sermon when our life goes from bad to worse, that, that lie that we will be separated from God. We have to remind ourselves of the evidences of God's grace. He gives us opportunity and the and that opportunity produces transformation. That transformation is evidence he's with us, but also we have to look to the cross, the evidence that he was separated so that you and I would never have to be alone, that we would never have to live with that. We have to walk by faith in the finished work of Christ so that we can overcome our fear that is cast out, not with courage, but with the perfect love of Jesus.